All right, it is time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Morning. Let's start with the government's promised crackdown here on municipalities not building enough housing. So these are 10, 10 municipalities, all on the so-called naughty list for not approving enough new housing starts. Now the government effectively ordering them to get it done. 60,000 homes over the next five years, or, or else they're going to do something, I guess. What jumps out at you here? Yeah, well, just the sheer number. I guess we didn't know the number. We knew we knew the municipalities that were on the list. Um, it's a combination of naughty and nice lists. I mean, Oak Bay is on there. They're notorious for not wanting to build housing. Even even now, being on the list and being assigned a number, their mayor is expressing concern. And you're going to hear this from other mayors. It's one thing to say build, you know, X number of units. In many cases, you know, roughly two thousand for some of these smaller or mid-sized municipalities. But is the mayor of Oak Bay's point out, well, okay, what about the infrastructure that comes with that? What about the sewage pipes? What about yeah. uh, the water lines? This type of thing. So his argument is Oak Bay is an old municipality with aging infrastructure. Um, where's the money to uh, to support the building of housing? And so the, all the pieces are not in place yet in terms of the carrots and sticks that we're talking about with this. I mean, these were targets that are set, but there's still some some work to, to be done in terms of filling in some of the missing pieces or how much provincial supports are going to be for building some of this stuff and what are the penalties going to be if these targets are not met. Okay. Now, on that point, if it doesn't get done, well, first, let's listen to the housing minister here. Here is Ravi Kalon, BC's housing minister, at the announcement yesterday. Let's listen. In May, we announced the first 10 municipalities for target assessment under our Housing Supply Act. And today I'm pleased to announce that the targets for each municipality has been set, meaning more homes will be built soon for people in communities that they love. Okay, target assessment for these municipalities and, and that's here. Just, that's just the first 10 municipalities. There's more to come. Yeah. More municipalities are going to be added to the next, uh, the next uh, grouping of them. And it's is 60,000 units over five years. So, again, this is on its own is not going to solve the the uh, housing crisis, both in terms of rental or ownership. Our population continues to grow at 175,000 to 200,000 people a year, flooding yeah. into Metro Vancouver, the capital, and the Okanagan region. That is already probably going to more than take up those those new units that are going to be built. So uh, this housing crisis that we're in is going to be here for quite some time, despite these rather ambitious targets set by the government yesterday. Yeah, when you do the math on it here, calculate the percentages. So you're looking at a 38% increase over the next five years in these 10 municipalities over what would have otherwise been built, according to trends. So that works out to 7.6% increase a year. I mean... Yeah. That's not really that much. No, and, and you, you look at and now some of these municipalities are, are don't build anything. Like Oak Bay um, yeah. is notorious for just not right. building anything. Uh, I mean, they, re, they infamously or famously rejected a 14-unit con, uh, townhome uh, project on a, on a vacant lot. Uh, after nine years, that after, they, after, after nine they worked years. on it, yeah. Nine yeah, years. So for, on a percentage basis, for somebody like Oak Bay, this is like a 400% increase over what they normally allow 
to be yeah. built. So it is it is game changing for some of these places that just don't build housing. But again, uh, this is the start of a rather ambitious program, and we'll see what it looks like a few years from now. Right. And speaking of what happens if these homes do not get built, then what? Well, that's that. That's one of the um, under the Housing Supply Act. There is action that the municipalities can take. I don't have the act in front of you, but there are mechanisms at the government's disposal. So there could be some nasty fights down the road if uh, if some of these targets aren't met, or like I say. This is a carrots and sticks approach. The government did announce a $61 million fund last week to assist municipalities in, in some of the zoning changes that are going to have to occur as a result of this, uh, these targets being set. So there is money already set aside, but presumably the mayors are going to be looking for more. Okay, this is going to, yeah, this is going to be a fight now over money, and it'll be interesting to see if these homes don't get built, will the province step in and override these municipalities, force through some of this zoning? I guess we'll, well see what happens. Yeah, and I think that that, that has been flagged by the, by, uh, the government yeah. that that is what's going to happen. But, you know, this is a, a road no one's been down before. So we'll see right. actually how this plays out in real life. Okay, I had Kevin Falcon on the show today. Keith, he was the first guest today. And we talked uh-huh. about these dismal polling results here for his party, BC United, of course, the former BC Liberal Party, at 20% support in this most recent poll. Tie, basically tied with the Conservative Party of B.C. This is a big problem. 48% decided vote for the NDP. This is a massive, massive NDP lead here. Was it a catastrophic mistake to change the party name to B.C. United from B.C. Liberal? Now, I asked Falcon that this morning. Here's what he had to say, then I'll get your thoughts. And I'll tell you when the okay. public does start paying attention, because frankly, they're not right now, and frankly, there's a ton of confusion between the federal conservatives. The B.C. conservatives are all thinking this is about them. It's not. It's people that are confusing the federal conservative party and not recognizing B.C. United. We only changed our name six months ago. So, look, I'm very comfortable. By the time the next election rolls around, you just watch what happens. Okay. So he says he's very comfortable. He said there's no going back. They won't change back to the B.C. liberal name. Your thoughts? Well, I don't think they can change back because I think the liberal brand... uh, the conservative part of the Liberal Party is gone. It's gone to the B.C. Conservatives. So uh, the B.C. Liberals and the, their precursor was the Social Credit Party was the Free Enterprise Coalition. The coalition is now broken up, it seems. And Falcon's challenge is to put that coalition back together at a time when he's at enormous disadvantage, when he's got a name that no one's ever heard of and no one really understands versus a name that everyone understands. People grow up with the name Conservative. So, yeah, there is confusion, but I don't blame him for being a glass-half-full type of guy right now. He's got no other choice than to be optimistic. But I think they're in a world of trouble. And I think John Rutstad and the B.C. Conservatives are gleefully uh, picking away at this and will more than happy to split the vote on the right if it means supplanting or replacing the B.C. United uh, as the alternative to the NDP. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be the alternative. It means they're going to be one of the alternatives. And history shows when that happens, it's a cakewalk to an election win for the New Democrats, both in 1972. You know, the Socrates, the Liberals, and the Progressive Conservatives got 60% of the vote, and the NDP just got 38% of the vote. But the NDP had a massive majority, just like in 1991, when, again, there was a split between the Liberals and the Socrates, the NDP, a massive majority, 96 
when the uh, BC Reform Party popped up, yeah. competing with the BC Liberals and the Progressive Democratic Alliance, another NDP majority. So I did a, I did an estimate last night in the news hour, just taking a 10% um, lift in the Conservative vote, which is not very much at all in some of the key writings, would give the NDP 60 to 65 seats, because six seats are being added to the House and Five of those are in NDP-friendly uh, ridings. A, a 20% increase puts them in the neighborhood of 65, 70 seats. Okay. A 30% is, we're talking 75 to 80 seats for the NDP. So oh, talking wow. to the is up everywhere he wants, it's just not a good situation for him and his yeah. party. David Eby must be rubbing his hands together in glee oh, yeah. here. They've yeah. got to be loving this. Okay, let's finish up, Keith, with the latest fallout from the, the Nazi nightmare on Parliament Hill. I, I still find this extraordinary that this yeah. happened, that a former member of the Waffen-SS gets introduced in the House of Commons last week and receives a standing ovation from MPs. Now, we've seen the Speaker of the House has now resigned over this. He's saying, this is all my fault. But listen to Pierre Polyev here, the Conservative leader, trying to pin this whole thing on Trudeau. And then we'll hear from Justin Trudeau, too. Let's listen. This is, by far, the biggest hit Canada's diplomatic reputation has ever taken in its history. And it happened under Justin Trudeau's watch. Uh, the Speaker has uh, acknowledged his mistake uh, and has apologized. Uh, but this is something that is deeply embarrassing to the Parliament of Canada. Keith, your thoughts? Well, I mean, I don't blame Paul here for trying to milk this as much as he wants. Um, yeah. But I think most people view this as just a really stupid mistake rather yeah. than something that was deliberate. Uh, it's just a, a complete screw up, uh, and we don't know if it's just the speaker, whether there's other responsible. But I think this is I'm not going to call this a two-day story. But I think over time, we're going to get back to be talking about housing and affordability and cost of living and those types of issues come the next election. I don't think this one's going to hang around uh, at okay. that level of, of pressing concerns for people. This is just a horrible embarrassment. Baldry's beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. Right to your phone calls here. Alex in New West. Hi, Alex. Go ahead. Alex, talk to me there. Go ahead. Why is it up to the provinces? Uh, it should be up to uh, the, the federal government. They're the ones that's letting everyone into the country. So you're you talking you about mean... housing? Yeah, I'm talking about housing. Yeah, so this is an argument the premiers are making on the national stage that if you're going to increase uh, immigration by huge numbers, which the federal government is, um, there has to be some money flowing back to the provinces to help build the supports that are required when you greatly increase the population, whether it's particularly for infrastructure and, and housing. is They want the provinces all, particularly B.C. and Ontario, where most immigration immigrants and new uh, citizens uh, reside, particularly in the urban areas, want more money to help with housing, but also the infrastructure that comes with an increased population, uh, which is anything from transit and transportation and roads to, uh, at the municipal level, little things like sewer pipes and water pipes, which seem little but become very big problems if you don't have uh, the, the infrastructure there to service the swell in population. Everybody's looking for money. You know, the, the municipalities yeah. are asking the province for money. The province is asking the feds for money. Around and around well, we go. Feds are, and look for the feds to start kicking away. I mean, Pastor Freeland yesterday announced another $20 billion uh, fund for, for housing. So, 
Uh, the yeah. feds are going to, and this is part of Evie's uh, uh, delegation that was there the last two days. Him and the premier and six ministers were in Ottawa, basically yeah. arguing and lobbying for cash on money for things, for everything from infrastructure to housing to transit to Evie. even Lana Popham, the tourism minister, was there presumably looking for some some sort of assistance on that sector as well. So that as yeah. the feds get closer to an election, and as they need to get out of this deep hole they're in in terms of unpopularity, look for the feds to start spending money along the way the province is sure. Yeah, for sure. Dave in Vancouver. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. Oh, hi there. I don't actually disagree with Kevin Falcon right now. Um, I am an NDP. I was an NDP supporter, but I'm also a small business. And what the NDP has done, I mean, I don't see why you guys never call them out on ha- taking some responsibility for the supportability, but in the last two years, I've been added six paid employer day, employer paid days. Um, yeah. They just keep, and then the carbon tax, I mean, all, all this is creating this unaffordability, but yet the government will not take any responsibility. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dave, for the call. Okay. Well, paid you know, six days. Go ahead. He raises the carbon tax, which is interesting. No political party in BC. I think the Conservatives have called for an end to the carbon tax, uh, but the BC United has not, and neither is the NDP. So the carbon tax now is a, almost a three billion dollar revenue item in the BC budget. So if you get rid of the carbon tax, that gets rid of three billion dollars out of the yeah. budget, uh, which puts it further into debt. So this is why carbon tax is a different issue in BC than in other places. But I wonder over time that we're going to stop seeing the increase in the carbon tax that comes every year. And maybe that's something that, that we see uh, in, in the future in terms of political promises from the parties. And if Colorado, you know, calling the government, the government gets very low, the NDP government gets really low marks in every poll I've seen, including the last one that has them at 48% of the decided vote, David Evitt, 52% approval, yet they get very low marks when it comes to their performance on housing, yeah. affordability, cost of living, yet that does not translate into support for another political party. And that, in, you know, enhances or underscores the problem Kevin Falcon's got, is that, yeah, the government gets low marks on the issue, on handling the issues that are most important to people, but that doesn't translate into support for other parties, right. particularly BC United. Yep. And I don't know how he solves that problem. And that's a real conundrum for him. Sure is. Grace and Cowichan. Grace, you've got 30 seconds here, okay? Just uh, calling quickly to say I just always uh, scratch my head at how little uh, people understand about how the parliament actually runs, how the speaker works, and how in Canada we have an apolitical speaker. And, uh, and you know, I know Trudeau is going to have to probably uh, just do the damage control and swallow it, but it, it had nothing to do with him. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. Keith, 20 seconds. Well, well, Technically, that is correct. It's an independent speaker's office, but uh, you're not going to convince Pierre Poliev that his message of blaming this on Justin Trudeau isn't an effective one. That's yeah. just the way politics works. Key, thanks a lot. All right, talk to you tomorrow.